0: Welcome to PCA One-on-One Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Tina Sire, PCA Chief Impact Officer.
1: Sandy Brondello is in her second year as the head coach of the WNBA Phoenix Mercury. An 18-year member of the Australian national team as a player, Sandy is a four-time Olympian, a two-time silver medalist, and was named the 1992 Australian International Player of the Year. As a shooting guard, Sandy finished her professional playing career with a five-year run in the WNBA, playing for Detroit, Miami, and Seattle. Sandy transitioned from playing to coaching right away, and last year in 2014, Sandy was named the WNBA Coach of the Year after guiding the Phoenix Mercury to a WNBA title and the league's best-ever season record of 29-5. and Sandy, thanks so much for joining me and PCA today. It's my pleasure. So I'm curious uh, how you approach this season, coming off such a successful season last year. I'm here in the Bay Area, and, you know, Steve Kerr is on our national advisory board, and I'm sure he's already looking forward to next season, trying to figure out how to build on a a title-winning season. And I'm wondering if you have any ideas on how you've approached that with your own team this season.
0: Well obviously if uh, the people that know our team is much different than the team that won the WNBA championship last year and that Diana Travis the best player in the world um is sitting out due to a, an American I uh, know Russian uh, contract um you know they they're, they told us she had to take the summer off Penny Taylor is taking the summer off as well Um, You know, so without two of their main playmakers, another one of our players did an ACL. So we really faced a lot of adversity coming into this this season. But for me, I see it a season of opportunity, an opportunity for other players to obviously take a step up and and grow in their development as a a professional athlete and an opportunity for, you know, what we can do to come together as a team, maybe even stronger than what we were last year, because we'll need each and every member of the team to be the best team that we could be to help us defend that. WNBA title.
1: And is that something that you guys explicitly talk about? Just you know how how the roster has changed and the players that have turned over, or is it not something that you necessarily talk directly with the team about?
0: No, look, it is what it is. I mean, everyone looks around the locker room and we see eight new faces, and uh, we we don't see too many familiar faces. But it doesn't matter that we've got play. We brought in players that we thought would complement the team that the core group that were returning. Um, and that was um, a key for us. So we needed players, obviously, of high character. You know, obviously, we skilled in certain areas. Uh, we needed a point guard who thought we could handle the pick and roll and obviously shoot the ball, and we got that in Lowney Mitchell. We needed players that would accept the role regardless. We thought Mo Curry would come in and offer us... Um, uh, Assets at both ends of the floor, both offensively and defensively. And then, you know, Kayla Francis from Australia coached her a few years ago. We just thought she would complement, obviously, Brittany Griner and, and Misty Bass and Candace Dupree and, and the roles that they play. Uh, so, for the style. So, really, it was just about trying to, be, trying to find the best players we could that were available through free agency um, or through, you know, a trade or through the draft that we thought could help us to be the best team we could. So, you know, it was a challenge, but, you know, we're happy... Yep. Um, with the players that we brought in and um, you know we're still a work in progress but um, you know we're we're taking steps in the right direction.
1: Wonderful. Um, So I know that you you grow up in a very small town in Australia and I know you picked up basketball pretty early but did you play multiple sports growing up and it's such a hot topic in this country about how old kids are when they specialize in one sport and I'm just curious to hear sort of your path and how you decided when you were going to specialize.
0: Well, yeah, when I was obviously growing up, I, I grew up actually on a sugarcane farm, so about 35 minutes outside of the, the city of about 50,000 people. So, look, I, I was used to being active and riding bikes, motorbikes, horses, you name it. So I was very outgoing from start. And so sport was encouraged a lot down there, either through sport, I mean, through the school. Uh, you know, I played softball at school. Um, I did track and, track and field. I started from the age of eight in a club um, running track and Long jump, and so I kind of um, I, I try to experience as many different sports as possible. And one sport you probably wouldn't know here is called vigaro. I was kind of big into that. That's that's a ladies' version of cricket back in those days. So look, I try to do a lot of different sports. I think that's important for your development, you know. Um, yeah, just being familiar and, and and getting used to not just being locked in once. Because I think I think what helped me have an 18-year career is was that I didn't overtrain from a young age. And I did play other sports, even though basketball yep. was the passion that I had from front when I first played. Um, that definitely, you know, it, it just gave me a, a broader understanding of the whole sports. And you know, I was, a, I was actually the Australian long jump champion when I was twelve. And wow. you know, my father probably, yeah, <laughs> my father probably thought I could be, um, you know, he thought I could go to the Olympics being a long jumper. But at the age of sixteen, I, I mean, my heart was in uh, playing basketball. I really enjoyed the team, team camaraderie, uh, the competition, and um so you know at the age of 16 I decided no basketball was the one that I would focus on.
1: And so was it at 16 um when when you joined the the national team that you decided to make that your one and only sport you waited till till you were 16.
0: Yeah look I waited because you know um, I just like competing. I like playing. Yep. Um you yep. know I did track and field. I didn't like the individual component of that you know <laughs> the, the pressure that went with that. Um, I liked obviously being involved in the team and working together for common success. Um and then yep. you know, I just I was pretty good at it. At the age of sixteen I made the Australian under twenty one team. So and coming from a small town like I did, not I didn't have a lot of specialised coaching and I didn't overtrain. Um uh, but I certainly was good at shooting. But there was a lot of things I needed to learn and but this experience early on just gave me just just, just gave me the fire that I needed to say, like, okay, I wanna I want to play for Australia, and people thought that was a little far-reaching, particularly from where I came from, you know, not having all the ability, all the top coaches. Um, But, you know, I I was a pretty driven kid in that regard. But um, it wasn't until the age of 17 that I really became like a semi-professional when I went to the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When
1: you were um, 16 and on that under-21 team, um, I have to imagine you were either the youngest or one of the youngest players on the team. Is that right?
0: Yeah, second youngest.
1: Second youngest. And were there specific things that your teammates or the coaches did to welcome you to the team and to make you feel comfortable even though you were one of the youngest players?
0: Yeah, I think, like, um, you know, obviously if you've met a lot of Australians, we're very uh, this very strong camaraderie. We we, we like to, to help each other out. And look, I was always the youngest kid in the Australian team. I made – in the senior team from the age of 18. And it, while it could mm-hmm. be a little bit of intimidating – I actually had people around me that, you know, just made me feel comfortable and coaches that made me feel comfortable. And they said, look, you deserve to be here. So just go out and play your game. Now, obviously, those early years, I was playing against players that really were better than me. But, um, you know, the competition was just great for me. And they kind of, you know, supported me and motivated me to keep, uh, you know, being the best player that I could be.
1: Yeah, you know, um, we sometimes in this country talk about hazing um, in the sports environment. So it's like you know, when people are coming onto a new team, doing things that are, you know involve harassment and um, you know make people uncomfortable. And I'm curious if um, if there were things that you notice that are the opposite of that, and maybe things you actually do with your team now that are much more about positive initiation and things that you do to really have a structure around, you know, you said you have, I think, eight new players on your team this year. How do you bring them in and make them part of your team and make them feel welcome and sort of go through a positive initiation rather than, than sort of the opposite, which is hazing?
0: Yeah. well, I mean, that word hazing really just, it just amazes me that it actually happens because it's, you know, in my eyes it's just unbelievable. It's, it's nothing that I've really seen. It's never been a part of the Australian culture or has it been a part of any of the professional teams that I've played for obviously, in America and the WNBA. Um, so, I mean, you know, I'm all about, you know, making feel, people feel comfortable. And, you know, my motto is I treat people as I would like to be treated. And I think, mm. you know, you know, I try and bring, like as a coach now, I try and bring high-character players in. And, you know, I will not – this player may be talented, but if I don't think they're the right fit to the team, I don't see the use in bringing them in. Because the only way you can yeah. have success is if you all believe in a common goal and you all have so yeah. uh, you don't always have to enjoy each and every one every single day, but chemistry goes a long way to being the best team that you can. And look, high character, it's like, you know, you've got to appreciate people's differences. So look, to yeah. me, it's more about you, you have to be the best teammate that you can be because I think that brings the most success.
1: So um, I love the idea of, of bringing in high character players. I also think it's hard sometimes to know if someone's a high-character player. And I'm curious, like, what you look for. You know, I had the experience recruiting um, as, you know, a college coach recruiting and I know I when I went to observe a player, I think the players and the coaches and the parents think you're just watching what they're doing on the field in the moment of action, but I used to spend a lot of time watching them on the bench, you know, when they got subbed out. How did, how did were they behaving in warm-up? What did they do after a bad call? But are there specific things you do to try to make that assessment about whether or not someone has that kind of high character you want as part of your team?
0: Well, I think the biggest thing for me is I try and make my own opinion. And and I do my research as much as I much as I can. Obviously, being a former player in the WNBA, I have a lot of contacts. You know, I still played. Yep. You know, with against it with some of the players that are still playing today. Um, yeah. And the, you just you just develop this you know networking you can always go to and, and ask. But. You know, players. You know, and your own individual players, because obviously you don't just play with your players here in WNBA. A lot of them go over to Europe, and obviously they're they're connected in some way either through the team or the the country that they're playing in. So you know, you get to, you can talk to people, and and you kind of know, you know what I mean. But you, for for the most part, mm-hmm. the WNBA has really good um, people and players. And yeah. look, and the the beauty of the WNBA over the college is, you know, at any time if you didn't feel that person was you know, doing what you needed. I mean, you can always trade and cut. But, you know, thankfully for me, every team, this is my 10th year coaching, um, you know, we've always found a, a way to to everyone to fit in. And, you know, not everyone's going to have the same role. Um, but you have to right. find a way for them to embrace that role. And I think, um, you know, that's that's been a strong point, particularly of my coaching style over the years.
1: That's great. Yeah, I I think um, I got to to hear you talking about coaching players to their personalities and the importance of getting to know each player individually to know how to best motivate her. And I was wondering if you could talk to our audience a little bit about that, about how do you get to know those players and then what are those differences about how you might approach one player versus another?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest strength really of mine, I mean, I've played basketball, I've been involved since I was the age of nine, you know, playing now coaching, is that you know, the playing background actually does help me. I believe uh-huh. because I've been in every single situation that all of these players have been. I've been the star yeah. of my team. I've I've had a role off the bench. You know, I've just been. You know, I've been the best scorer. Or there's games where I haven't played. So you know, it is an emotional roller coaster. But you have to. If you've experienced it, I, I really think it believes it helps me become a better coach because, um, you know, and you understand and I communicate to them as much as possible, not just to the, the best players or the starting five. I try to communicate for everyone, you know, as when, whenever I can or if I felt like they need it, because there are times when players are down because their expectations are high. And I totally understand that. Uh, we're professional yeah. athletes. Obviously, there's an, there is an ego involved. But as women, we just need to, to, you know, to get that positive reinforcement. Because I think, regardless of what your role is, that certainly helps um, the process yeah. of, you know, being the best player you can. And there are different personalities, I and mean, we we have to admit that we're all different. Um, look, I was a player. I, perf- you know, I didn't handle negative criticism very well. But mm. teach me, you know, constructive. Um, that was the where where I could develop the most. You know, because I, yeah, you know, don't make me overthink. I'm an instinctful player. I know what to do, but give me some guidelines to make me better. And you know, don't berate me. Don't tell me I'm, you know, I'm a terrible what a defender when you know I'm a, I'm a smart defender or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm just making an example there. I was more of a shooter, by the way. So I was an average right. defender, but I was smart. So I used my smarts more than anything. So I try and you know let them um, give them feedback and, uh, and make sure they know their role. Um, and how it's, how impactful it is to the team. And yeah. while everyone has different roles, each and every role is important from one to 12.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you had such a long playing career, and I think it's so true having had that experience as a player helps you be um, an effective coach, and especially having felt all those roles of being the star, the leading scorer, coming off the bench. I'm curious, once you started coaching, um, was it easier or harder than you anticipated? And what did you feel like were some of the biggest challenges? And, and maybe one way of looking at it is, like, are there certain things you know now um, about coaching that you wish you had known, you know, when you first made that transition from player to coach?
0: Well, I think, you know, when making that transition, it's not that you didn't know basketball. It's more about, obviously, well, now I actually have to explain to each and every one how they need to go. And you get better with experience. I mean, I, you know, I'm a better, better coach this year than I was last year. I mean, that's just through experience of doing. And I think my role as an assistant coach has been invaluable for me as a, as a head coach because I did a lot of scouting. I had to do a lot of game planning. So look, I was confident in my ability, and um, just because the my head coaches that who I coached under, under were very accommodating and letting me have a huge impact in how we, you know, played at both ends of the floor. So that certainly helped mm-hmm. my development in that regard. And so I've just been lucky, really, just been blessed to have, be, you know, being mentored by the right head coaches. And that started with Dan Hughes, allowing me to, to grow each and every year by giving me extra responsibilities. And um, and then, yeah. you know, obviously just believe, myself just believing In myself, more than anything, you know, knowing it's like, okay, I know the tools, but my job is no different than when I was a player. My goal is that each day I step out on the court is to always give my best effort and always learn to keep learning. So if I think I can do both of those things, um, you know, I can uh, be on the right track.
1: I love that, that growth mindset. Um, I think one of the things you've been quoted as saying is that you feel like you may get even more satisfaction out of coaching um, than you did out of playing, and specifically because that's about the impact you can have on individuals, and it's not just about their play on the court, but about sort of greater life lessons, and you know, at PCA, we talk about coaches being double goal coaches, striving to win while they're teaching life lessons and, you know, ultimately making better athletes better people. And I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about that, sort of like the satisfaction that comes out of coaching and sort of the bigger job you're doing rather than just teaching the sport of basketball.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It really, it's, it's bigger than just wins and losses. Um, and look, and it goes back from my my background. When I was the age of 17, I moved away from my home, you know my family and I went to live with other 17 18 year olds the best players in the country um to practice at the Australian Institute of Sport and I um the head coach at the time was Adrian Hurley and look he just took me under his wing and mentored me and and he wanted mm-hmm. to make me a shooting guard into a point guard and I was skeptical oh <laughs> you know I don't want to dribble the ball too much that's not my skill but he just he just believed in me the whole way and to and he's still a mentor of mine you know um Thirty years later which is which is amazing, and he 's always offering me advice, but he just he was just someone that resonated with me in the way he got the best out of me because he believed in me that meant yeah. he didn 't co- not coach me, and he coached me like we were young, so he was like that you know that he was a family, so he kind of led us in the right path in that regard, so I think that earlier experience and obviously my playing experience and mostly I had positive experiences with my coaches. um, So which helped me realize like how impactful each and every one of us can be on, on all of our athletes lives. And because really they are when they're here with you, I treat them as family. You know, I care for them. It's not just the basketball player, you know, if anything's not so good off the court, you know, that my, my door's always open, as so I say. I, I'm, I'm there for them whenever they need me at what time of night. It doesn't matter. Because, you know, if I find if I have a, a happy player off the court, it makes them for a more productive player on the court. So, you know, I think it goes hand in hand. And, you know, I think all coaches around the world have a huge responsibility because we can impact so many lives in a positive way. Yep,
1: yep, yep. I think it's a lot bigger responsibility than a lot of people think about when they sort of sign up or get their arm twisted into coaching a team. Um, yeah. You know, they realize it's such—it's a much bigger job than they were expecting. I wanted to follow up on your comments about Adrian Hurley and him asking you to play the point and um, how important it is to have players try new positions and not, you know, at a young age, just decide like I'm a shooting guard or I'm a forward, um, and and just only practice that skill. And what did he do to get you to be open minded to play the point? And why is that so important for players not to sort of get set on one position early in their career?
0: Well, I suppose to me, look, I, I like. Growing up in the country, my mother didn't drive. My father was a sugarcane farmer. So for six months of the year, very busy with the, the harvesting of the cane. And so I really didn't get to practice too much. But he actually put a backboard on the water tank at the back of our yard, so which was grass. So all I could work on really was I'm a jump shooter. Someone taught me to do a jump shot, which was obviously wonderful for my career because I can shoot the ball. But I'd work on catch and shoot you know, shooting it, or one bounce. Because if I dribbled more than one bounce, the bo- the rocks would, you know, make the or the, the uneven surface would make the ball go somewhere else. <laughs> so, I mean, that was just, yep. that was my background. So, I was great at that. I made Australian team because I could shoot the ball because that's what I practiced on. Um, so, you know, it. the other aspects of it, because I wasn't, you know, on the practice court all the time, um, you know, I wasn't as confident in that area. But, you know, mm-hmm. and any skill can be learned. Um, you know I have a great player of um dewana Bonnet look she I made her a defensive stopper last year, and she was fantastic for us and but she 's a very uh, capable player like scorer over in Europe now this year changes a little bit because you know we lose Dinah trusty Penny Taylor, and you know obviously have mm-hmm. two main playmakers so i 'm asking her you need to be a pick and roll player now and a playmaker, mm-hmm. and that 's never been her part of her game and mm-hmm. but neither was defense last year but you know, I, I've just showed it. You're fine. We, we give her the skills, and it's a learned skill. So the more you practice, the better you get. The more success you have in the games, the easier it is to become muscle memory that, yeah, I'm good with mm-hmm. this. So every skill can be learned. Now, with Adrian Hurley in my situation, we used to go on a squash court, and we would stay in there for 15 minutes, and I'd put these little, you couldn't see the ball, your little, you know, kind of little binoculars, so I couldn't look at the ball, <laughs> you know, dribbling. Mm-hmm. In, in a small, confined space, we just worked on ball handling. And um, if anyone's ever done that, that's very tiring. But it, it made me a better uh, ball handler. Not in the first week, maybe not in the first month, but over time, I just got better and better. And he—he—he he, um, he was also the Australian men's coach at that time. But look, he spent a lot of time with me individually, just helping me become a better player. And you know, yeah. and that meant a lot to me um, because yeah. he's spending his time, make you know, helping me improve on the areas that I need to be, so that I could go and play in four Olympics. You know, that really helped me yep. to be the best player I could
1: be. Yeah. Um I think one of the hardest things as a coach is to help players through disappointments and to have them really view those disappointments as times where they can learn um and, and maybe to become a better basketball player and again ultimately maybe a better person. And I'm wondering if there's maybe one or two specific examples of disappointments you remember um from your playing career where you felt like you learned something from it that you've carried with you that ultimately became a, a positive?
0: Well, I think really every every experience. And, and, you know, I have a motto. It's like the lesson of the experience. Um, excuse me. Lesson of the experience is always positive, even though it was negative at the time. And, look, you may mm. not know, you know, directly that this major disappointment like in one year, two years, five years, you will look back and you will be. I'm so glad that happened, because it mm. shaped you as a person and, and and as a player. And I've had those situations. I mean, look, I make the Australian team at the age of 16. You know, and you know, I'm I can shoot the ball, but there's better players than me, so I had to wait my time. You know, at the, yeah. my first Olympics in Seoul, I had, you know, I bet I didn't even get on the court. I'm 18. I didn't mm. even get on the court, but I watched all these players and just how they handled it. And it actually motivated me. It disappointed me, but it actually yeah. motivated me to say like, okay, well, obviously I need to get better. And mm-hmm. so how can I do that? Who do I need um, to put myself around that? Because, you know, I mean, it's a major disappointment, you know, you, you, know, you feel not like, you know, you feel embarrassed, but because it's what, what other people may think. But in the end, yeah. it's like, okay, the only person that can change this is me. And, you know, as long as you know people. Sometimes, if you don't play, they don't know how to talk to you. And in yes. that regard, you know, if they, they feel uncomfortable, or if you play bad. But you know, I mean, it, what we do on the court. I mean, that should be separated to what we do off the court. And sometimes, all we need is a pat on the back because you know you'll be you know be better the next game. And you know, it made me actually all of my experiences made me mentally tough tougher mm-hmm. and uh, it certainly helped me throughout my career and helps me today you know obviously just living in in, in this world so look, I, I encourage anyone we will we all will face adversity I mean that's just life but I think that's yep. we need those negative experiences to go in the right direction Um and we just have to make sure we stay the course no matter how hard it is at the time because in the end you look back and you will say I'm I'm glad I had to go through that because I'm where I need to be right now.
1: Yep, yep. Um, I, I've got – I could talk to you all day long. I've got two more quick questions for you. One is around um, leaders, and at PCA we define people being leaders as those who make them around uh, – they make those around them better. Um, so it's not just the captain who's going to be the leader or the coach, but really any player could be a leader by making those around her better and I'm curious if there are specific people when I talk about that and leadership that come to mind for you and maybe they're teammates you had before or players you're coaching now but um, you know who are they or what is it that they do that makes them stand out in your head as a leader
0: well you know the first person to my mind is Diana Tracy mm-hmm. you know I've had the pleasure I actually coached Diana overseas in Russia and you know, obviously, obviously in Phoenix last year um, and Look, she's a leader in so many different ways. She carries a responsibility, obviously, being... being. Everyone's saying that she's the best player in the world, which she is. You know, so she has the pressure of that. But mm-hmm. her biggest thing is she, she may... Look, she, yes, she feels pressure, but her pressure is... It's all about winning. It doesn't matter, you know... Um, how they get there, as long as they win. And look, her leadership is that she will always train the hardest of anyone I've ever seen or ever coached, ever played with it. So she brings it every single day. I mean, for me, Mm. that's leadership, you know? Through whatever she does, it's leadership, okay? And then, obviously, there's times when she will hold other players accountable. It's not just the coach doing it. And for me, Mm. that's leadership. Um, But she does it in the right way. You know, there is a right and a wrong way in terms of how to motivate, especially women. And um, yep. but she really does it in the right way because she has this great witty, funny personality, but she's very driven. You know, she'll go at it but and, and then after the game, you know, she'll be she'll be joking about it. Um and and, and it works for her. You know, she inspires players to be better. And mm. and I'm sure a lot of people credit credit her for making them better players. And, look, I think yeah. Brittany Griner's a perfect example. You know, the first year, mm. she wasn't so good. Last year, you know, B- she, she went up to BG and, you know, and I did the same. It's like, okay, your rookie is behind you, but you're a leader of this team. And mm. give someone that responsibility. Give them this, you know, they make the chest go up and they think, okay, well, I have that responsibility now. And, look, mm. each and every one is a leader in, in my group, but obviously you have stronger leaders and, in In my locker room, obviously, I have my ca- captains obviously my my assistant coaches and myself, but I'll always if we have a film session, I'll like say so does anyone want to say anything, why do you think that it's an open platform because everyone has a voice and everyone has an yeah, opinion, yeah. and a lot of the time that matters, and we all need to hear we all need to be held accountable mm-hmm.
1: that's great i love I love the idea of when you're watching tape asking for anyone's opinion um you know not just the coaching staff or the more senior players um So I think one of the things that the WNBA prides itself on is being a really family-friendly environment and, you know, come to the games and it's going to be a great place to bring your kids. And I'm curious how much you, you know, as a head coach and your players are conscious of being role models and um, having people watching you and being on TV. And is that something, that role model role, is that something that you talk about on your team or um, if you don't talk about it on your team that you think about personally as a head coach in the WNBA?
0: Well, no, I think, yeah, we are role models. Whether we like it or not, we are role models. And, you know, I'm lucky that, you know, we have great players on the on the Mercury team that take that responsibility seriously. Because, like, yeah. we've seen it when us growing up, you know, there's been people that have impacted us. That's been a role model in a positive way to help us to be the players that we are today. So it's more about giving back. And, you know, it, at WNBA, it's a great... Um, get, you know, great environment to be around, because we are family, you know, we have fun, you've got the dances, so it's, you know, interactive as much as we can. You know, we think, obviously, watching the best players in the world, we think the, the play of game is, is wonderful, but the players really um, understand why they need to get out in the community, because we're still a young, yeah. league, uh, young league, league, but yeah. also... Um, so many women just, you know, they need those positive role models to make them believe. I mean, I, my motto is, uh, I keep going mottos, but still, I still have mottos from what I learned when I was young. So I kind of just, you know, stealing them because that was good. It really uh, resonated with me. But it's like, you know, you got to dare to dream. You got to mm. dare to dream bigger than what you what you've got. And it's okay. You may it may not think happen now but you've still got to put short-term goals, long-term goals, because if you don't have goals, what are you aspiring to do? Now, you may not reach them. You may need to change them, but that's the process that we go through. So, you know, we're very – while we don't – look, they, it's just an understanding. We've all been the WNBA for so long that this is this is a responsibility that we have.
1: Yeah. Well, um, Sandy, I want to thank you so much for joining me and uh, Positive Coaching Alliance today for this interview. And I know there's so many coaches and parents and athletes that are going to benefit from listening to this and that benefit every day from watching you and your players. And you really are tremendously positive role models. And I think you can't dare to dream or aspire to be something that you can't see. And I think you're really walking the talk. And I just appreciate that so much. And thank you for taking the time for doing this today.
0: No, anytime. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA
0: One On One. Be sure to visit positivecoach.org to download more podcasts.